Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded on Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. We are live, live, live from Shop Talk in Las Vegas, and excited to have on the show Ashvin Kumar. Ashvin is the Top Hatter co-founder and CEO, and Top Hatter is the world's most entertaining marketplace. They've raised over $35 million in venture capital, and we're really excited to hear your story, hear about Top Hatter, and talk about uh, marketplaces, machine learning, and a variety of other topics. Welcome to the show, Ashvin. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jason and Scott. Happy to be here. Awesome. We, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, so one of the ways we almost always start out the show is to get a little bit of the background of our guests. So can you tell us sort of uh, how you started your career and found your way to this, uh, sure. this gig? Sure. So I'll, uh, I'll start at the, the very, very top. So I was uh, born and raised in, uh, in Silicon Valley. So I'm, I'm a local kid that, that, uh, that never left the Bay Area, basically. There's, there's not too many of us. Got a lot of, a lot of folks descending on the Bay Area these days. So I, uh, I grew up in uh, Palo Alto, um, went to uh, Palo Alto High School. Uh, I was in, I was in uh, the Valley in the, the dot-com bubble. And I remember um, there was just, I remember there was, there, there just weren't enough programmers in like the, in, I think in like the 99, 2000 time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember getting a call from somebody saying, hey, we just, you know, we need programmers. Do you know how to write Java? And I was like, yes. I had no idea. <laughs> so I went and got a book, studied it up the week before, got in there, started learning Java. The, you know, I made great money that summer. I was like, this is awesome. And so uh, I think that's where the bug started for me. I would um, assume Java was like a required freshman class at Palo Alto High School, no? You know what's interesting? Uh, we we did do a little a little uh, uh, programming at uh, at Palo Alto High School. So we had a little bit of that there, but not, not a ton. Um, you know, it wasn't quite as in vogue. As it is now, uh, now I think computer science is like Stanford's largest major by far, and uh, I, it's the uh, certainly the flavor of flavor of the decade. Um, but yeah, so if, after Pali, I went to uh, went to Stanford, did uh, computer science uh, at Stanford. Actually, while I was there, I was uh, I interned at Amazon. Actually, oh, wow. so that's where that's where my co-founder and I um, first spent a lot of time together. He was an intern at at Microsoft, and I was an intern at Amazon, and so we decided to split the difference and. And find a place to live in between the two. So we lived in the uh, university district in Seattle, um, and every every night we'd come back and talk about the differences between Microsoft and Amazon, which is awesome. And I had a fantastic experience. This was in two thousand and three, so I was an intern there for a few months, and it was it was they they already felt like a fairly big company with a lot of but still plenty of opportunity ahead of them. Um, and I remember one one thing I remember Jeff Bezos uh, would talk to the intern. I don't know if he still does, but like one of the treats was he'd come and talk to all the interns and uh, we talked about some, some of the company values and th- there's two that I remember really well. It's like frugality and trust mm-hmm. and, and, and Amazon. I remember 
just wanting to get like a soda and you gotta go pay for a soda yeah, yeah. whereas I, I was gonna say like i'm imagining you comparing notes with your roommate yeah, and yeah. like your the cafeteria now. on the microsoft right. campus was a little fancier than the free bananas at, Apple, right. at well, uh, amazon totally it, what, what I, but what i found fascinating was that they were proud they were super proud of that fact and so it just it just the got windows open yeah, it got, it, it got me so uh, it, it got me um, excited. It just got me uh, hearing different perspectives. One person's proud of their priority, and Microsoft obviously was touting their free food and free soda. Just two companies with very very different mindsets, obviously. Um, anyway, so after um, I graduated CS from Stanford, worked at a small startup, enterprise social networking startup for uh, for three years uh, with some of the, some of my friends from Stanford. Um, I joined as the third engineer. Uh, when I joined, we had, uh, I think, about seven people. Um, kind of, well, uh, we raised a Series A. We spent three years building the company. Um, and about three years, two and a half, three years in, my co-founder, uh, my current co-founder and I decided to leave our jobs. He went to a, um, he went to a different startup. He was also the third engineer there. So between us, we had seen a couple, we we felt like we were the ground floor at, at a couple companies this is the same guy and, that was also at Microsoft. Yeah, or the, same guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. We, right. So we roomed together after after college too. Biffles. And so after, yeah. like millennials like to say, <laughs> I haven't heard that, but fair enough. <laughs> Best friends for life. <laughs> oh yeah. <Okay. laughs> Come on, you gotta get yeah. with the lingo. Yeah, yeah, I do. Your comp sci is showing. Yeah. So we, uh, so we'd um, uh, after after work at our respective stars, we'd come back and jam on ideas together, and eventually, uh, about two and a half years in, we we decided that we'd um, we'd want to. Try it on our own. So um, we uh, we just started working, hacking on various different projects, and all, all we knew is that we wanted to work together and that we wanted to build uh, something fun and interesting that people were going to like. That was sort of our, that was our starting point, but we didn't really know what that looked like, and so we just started working on stuff. Um, we built stuff uh, and we just put it in front of anybody that would that would see for feedback. Uh, we'd uh, we'd we'd send users to it in all sorts of ways uh, we could find. We post on Facebook and post on Twitter and do all sorts of viral things to try and get users to, to use our experience. Um, in the process of, like, that was, like, right around 2008. So this was, like, the financial crisis. It was a great time to start a company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were, we were, Let's leave our jobs yeah. and start a company yeah. here in yeah. early yeah. 2008. Yeah, so the frugality uh, thing <laughs> yeah. probably helped a lot there. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so we quit our jobs. I actually moved back in with my uh, with my parents. Uh, my co-founder, he moved back. He... he um, he also was trying to save money on, on on rent, so he moved in with his girlfriend at the time. Uh, way too early to move in with a girlfriend. Uh, they're married now, so everything worked out. But nice. <laughs> it could have, could have been bad. We all had to make sacrifices. Um, we uh, so so we we just started being, trying to be frugal, uh, hack on stuff, share it with anybody that would see it. In the process, we met um, a uh, a VC at, at CRV, and they weren't like like I like we said the um, they weren't doing a lot of deals at the time because of the crisis. So things were a little slow there. Uh, and they had a they had a spare office in um, at their at their uh, at their their offices on Sand Hill. So he he invited us to come work out of their office uh, and Sweet. get free lunch nice. and basically be a, an entre- basically be an in resident entrepreneur. I don't wow. like to say I don't like to say entrepreneur in resident because that's like a fancy title where you actually get paid. We were uh, in resident entrepreneurs. That's like the difference between a country club and a club in the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, we, well, that was great for us because prior to that, we were basically like a big chunk of our day was figuring out which coffee shops Wi-Fi wasn't going to cut out. So, yeah. having like consistent Wi-Fi and free lunch actually was really helpful. I spent a lot of time at the Starbucks in Palo Alto, and I'm picturing you guys. When I go in there, it's like funny. It's like all these 
startup folks just kind of like, totally. you know, you can see the founders and they're just like, you know, a, they, they have big red, you know, circles under their eyes because <laughs> yeah. they've been up for three days. That was us. They're arguing over like, you know, like, no, it's not null there. And right. you're like, whoa, you guys need to just like chill out. You've had way, way too little sleep and way too much caffeine. Now everyone has to be in the official Patagonia down vest. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's like, that's standard VC attire. Yeah. So that's a VC. Like, entrepreneurs. You're an entrepreneur wearing the Patagonia vest. They have to have funny, Jeez. humorous t-shirts. <laughs> Ironic. Yes. I Pied Piper. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah, so, so we, we, we built, we like launched a bunch of products in 2000 and, uh, in 2008. Um, and one of the benefits was of being in a VC firm is that we could, we just walked it down the hallway and showed it to these, the, the, the folks there and got their feedback. And, uh, eventually we found like we, we built something, um, that they got really excited about. Um, and that's why we actually ended up raising money for it. So it was a product called Blippy. And it was a it was a, a social network for the type for the things that people are buying. So the idea there was uh, that we would uh, we would connect into your your Amazon account, your iTunes account, and we'd basically passively publish to your friends the stuff that you were buying. So if you downloaded something or bought something on Amazon, we kind of published that out to your friends uh, as a way of uh, discovering what your your friends were buying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of our first foray into discovery shopping, uh, and we got really excited about that and. And CRV got really excited about that, and they wrote us a check to seed fund the company, and, and that's sort of how we got started. So they put CRV is Charles River Charles, Ventures. Charles River Ventures, yeah. that aren't in yeah. the VCU. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, we we raised money for that, and um, and actually we, we got a lot of traction, uh, initial traction, a lot of hype around that product. Uh, and six months later, we raised another round for that. So we, we actually ended up raising twelve million dollars um, additional uh, for that product. Now, unfortunately. Six months after that, after spending a lot, so this here we're about one year into the journey with Blippi, like we realized that the, the product wasn't really going to work. So the retention numbers weren't there. Uh, the engagement just wasn't there. Um, and we tried a bunch of things. So by the end of that year, we had a, uh, we had, uh, a lot of money in the bank, but uh, kind of a failed product. Um, and so we had to figure out what we were going to do next. And I, my co-founder and I, we just kind of went back to what we were doing before, which was hacking on all sorts of different projects. So, so Blippi was a consumer kind of thing. Consumer. Did you try pivoting to like retailers, integrating it with their platform to do a yeah. sharing kind of social sharing Yeah, thing? good question. So there were a few different ways we could have pivoted it. I think that at that time we we still felt really strongly that we wanted to be a pure consumer experience and we didn't want to have a component where we were doing kind of enterprise integrations or working closely with uh, with with folks w- without us having a strong user base, yeah. So it was the monetization like to an affiliate program kind of thing? So yeah, I mean, we Jason felt, shares a cool yeah. gadget he's bought. I buy yeah. it. You guys have encoded the, the affiliate link, kind yeah. of. Yeah, that would that would be one possible promise at scale. Yeah. I mean, we it was such a treasure trove of information. Mm-hmm. I was going to say there's probably a data play where you're yeah. quite, like there was it, it was a it was um it was a really fun product when we when we first built it and the amount of things that we buy every single day the amount of like apps I download on the Play Store, things that I just go on Amazon and buy um, based, on, based on a recommendation from a friend. Or a, you know, if somebody recommends me a book, I'll just go buy it on the Kindle right now and have, so I can have it there when, when, I'm, when I'm on the plane. So like, you're buying things all, all the time, and our product would pull all that information in, ag- like aggregate that information and publish it out in a structured way so other people could, could – uh, could benefit from it. Remember Facebook Beacon where they yeah. tried this and then uh, that's right. people would buy gifts for their wives and their right. wife would see totally. it. <laughs> yeah. So there, see, there's like sometimes you didn't want to share it. Your totally. Lips. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, there's yeah. certainly some horror stories associated with it too. But but all in all, it was a really fun product with a lot of information associated with it. And there were, there were a lot of different directions we could take it. 
I, I the reason why we liked it is that it had the it had the fun engaging element, but it also had fantastic monetization potential. Um, but at the end of the day, if people don't use the product, then it's not going to work. And and that's sort of what we found. We found that we could get people to initially engage with the product, but we couldn't uh, get them to retain over time. Um, and so at the end of the year, we had some decisions to make, and we decided to basically sunset the product and work on other things. Um, but we were really excited about, broadly really excited about the space of discovery commerce. Um, so that's the, this, the area that we stayed in. Uh, and, and we started working on other ideas in, um, in e-commerce. So the next idea we tried, we tried a bunch of things in between, but the next thing that we got a little bit of traction was we, we, we took the idea of Groupon and um, combined it with, basically tried to build a Groupon-like experience for Etsy sellers because a lot of these Etsy sellers have fantastic merchandise they can make fantastic merchandise but they have no distribution uh, so we thought well let's build a distribution list for people that want to be introduced to new types of etsy products uh, and so that actually was awesome we launched that in 2011 um, and that had really great traction for a few months um, but then you know a few months in we realized that this is actually hitting a ceiling that we just we can't uh, we can't attract enough sellers and we can't get enough uh, people on the distribution list to make this uh, scale at uh, at a meaningful rate, um, and so six months after that, we realized okay, we this this is sort of tapped out, even though it had some initial traction. And so we were again, we went back to the drawing board, worked on a bunch of other consumer uh, consumer uh, products again, all in all in discovery shopping. And then 2012 is when we launched Top Hatter, and uh, when we launched Top Hatter, it had a lift, it had like a consumer uh, had consumer traction and a lift that we had not seen before. Um, and we had worked. Keep in mind, we had worked in. We worked on so many different projects up until this point that when we when we initially launched Top Hatter and saw the numbers, we we're like, "Wow, there is something special here." Uh, we don't know exactly what about it is particularly special, but there's something really special here that we want to uh, that we want to make sure that we capture and foster. Yeah. And uh, so, as a as a entrepreneur in the consumer space, what are the numbers you're looking at? So you you've talked about you know retention and stuff. Are you looking at CAC LTV? Are you looking at Cohort analysis, yeah. um, help listeners kind of understand how yeah. someone building something like this thinks about it. Yeah, so um, uh, these days, as the, as the business scales up, those are all really important numbers for us. So we look at cohorts, we look at uh, people, when, when we say cohorts, for, for folks that are not familiar, uh, we look at when uh, a person signs up in month one, how do they perform in month two, three, four, five, six, seven. So we look at how that how um, how they progress over time. Um, and we also look at CAC LTV, so we look at all that stuff. But that's that's mainly like numbers as we've scaled up. Initially, when you're building products, it's it's a little bit more uh, like like trying to find love. Yeah, and so just some MAU movement. And, yeah, you're you looking know, you're looking for out. you're looking for something special in the product. Uh, you're trying to f- capture um, trying to capture magic in a bottle. Uh, and I think if you don't have that initial magic in the bottle, then all that other stuff doesn't really all that other stuff uh, doesn't really make sense, or it's it's hard to optimize for that other stuff. And so I think the thing that was special about Top Adder is that it did have magic in the bottle really early on. And, um, and then as we've scaled up, we've used all, you know, we, we look at CAC, LTV, we look at cohorts, we look at all, uh, all that fancy jazz uh, to, to, to figure out if we're doing, working on the right things. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about Top Hatter and sort of what the value yeah. prop is and what, what makes you guys unique. Yeah, so Top Hatter is a, a discovery shopping app. I always encourage people to... to to, to go download the app to get the full experience because it's a it's a it's a very differentiated experience. Um, we sell things in a in an auction format, uh, so we run live auctions twenty four seven. I think the average eBay auction takes like two weeks to complete. Our average auction takes ninety seconds. We can get a similar price, so it's real time. It's fast. Uh, 
uh, our average price point is 10 to 15 bucks. So it's in like an impulse. Um, it's a, it's an impulse purchase for people. Uh, they don't feel they, they, uh, they can make a decision within 90 seconds to see if they want something. Um, and we sell across a, a variety of categories from jewelry to electronics to accessories. So it seems like it's oriented towards a value kind of consumer. Yeah. Kind of like that wish kind of a marketplace. Yeah. And so like so our, someone that wants kind of something cool for like under 20 bucks or something. Totally. And our, and, um, so our consumers also shop at Walmart and Kohl's and, and QVC and HSN. And yeah, it's a, it's a, the dollar store, TJ Maxx. I mean, these are all, these are all of our consumers. So, uh, it is a, it's a value oriented customer. Yeah. Now for a while there, there was these really weird auction sites where you'd like buy kind of a currency to go bid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think they gave auctions a really bad name oh, kind of there. We're, we're constantly I think they've been fighting. cleaned up. Yeah. So we're like, we, we had to fight that kind of ban- brand misperception yeah. uh, a lot. So when, when, when people see that we're an auction site, that's the first place. That's one, one of the first questions that we get is this a penny auction site? Do I have to pay for my bids? Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of our marketing, we, we make, make it really clear now bids are free. You only pay if you win. Right. Um, so we, it's just an old fashioned auction, but it's not, it's not an auction for, for the reasons of price discovery. Um, most of the items that we sell are pretty commodity items. Um, it's an auction because it's engaging. Uh, and we find that again, when we think about how do we build an engaging experience, that's where we started. Um, it's just fun. Everything starts at a dollar. And so you pick the price that you want to pay, you know? So you, you, you like something at a dollar, there's no reason why you won't like it at two. And then maybe you like it at three. And so, and so yeah. uh, people is it a one winner wins kind of thing, or is it more of a Dutch auction? So if Jason bids six and I bid seven, would yeah. you kind of win or right now it's one winner, one winner. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of the beauty. And, and, and part of the challenge too, is that, is that if, um, there has to be losers in the auction for you to feel like for you to feel good when you actually win something. Yeah. That that hurts the you know the CAC because totally. you're going to go acquire totally. you know CAC times totally. X uh, totally. yeah and then it can hurt LTV because if I'm a loser you know totally. I, you lose so many times your totally. your yes your but LTV our, can but be- our, interestingly our data shows that the folks that compete for items are the ones that are uh, that are more likely to come back so if you if you try and win something and you win something with no competition you're less likely to come back than if you competed for it and, and you won because there's a little bit of social validation in the fact that somebody else wanted this thing. So I, I saw an article uh, that said you you guys had uh, over 300 million in GMP yeah. in 2017. Yeah, give us an idea. Of the scale. yeah, so give you a sense of scale. So uh, we we're gonna do um, so. Last year we did over 300 million in top line. This year, right now, like we're focused on doing a billion dollars in 2019. This year we'll do at least a half a billion dollars. So nice. um, it's a you know it's not a it's not like an Amazon scale business, um, but it's not like a small business either. Mm-hmm. So the and your business model is typical take rate kind of a oriented. Yeah, kind it's of a thing. it's a marketplace business model. Yep. Um, we take roughly twenty five percent, depending on the category. Okay. Wow. Uh, so then uh, I can figure out your revenues by multiplying GMV by twenty five percent. You can. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure I understand. <laughs> that would assume that Scott can do math. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, are you guys a mix of first party and third party or is it entirely third party? It's an entirely third party. You mean like our sellers? Yeah. Do we sell things ourselves? Yeah. We don't sell anything ourselves. So we don't take any inventory. It's pure marketplace. Um, we just connect buyers and sellers. So we ask our sellers to give us all of their inventory. So we tell sellers to to, to give us a spreadsheet of everything you got. Uh, and then this sort of goes into uh, how we use data. So we have a, we have a, a big pool of inventory, millions and millions of items that we can potentially share with our buyers, um, and then from that we whittle it down to a small set of like relatively small set of SKUs that we show uh, buyers when they open up the app. So how are you soliciting uh, sellers? 
Uh, so uh, our sellers are – so we have sellers based in the U.S. We have sellers – we also have a team in China to work with our sellers in China. So today uh, about 70% of our sales come from sellers that are based in China. And we have a team there that helps uh, find and work with our sellers out there. Actually, what we found is just – just looking at the broader internet and um, selling, like as a as a as a third party seller on the internet, it's just very challenging to find places to sell on the internet. There just aren't enough places to sell. Uh, there's so when we go and talk to our sellers in China, uh, they're always looking to diversify where they're selling, and nobody wants to just be on Amazon um, uh, for, for for obvious reasons. But if you if you look down the list, there's actually not a lot of options beyond Amazon. You've got the Amazon, you've got eBay, you've got uh, you've got Alibaba, you've got Wish. And, you know, the list dries up pretty quickly. And so when we come in there and say that we have, you know, we're going to do half a billion dollars this year and we've got reasonable volume, everybody's ears perk up yeah. because a that's good volume, and b that they want they they don't want to be wholly dependent on on their Amazon sales. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so one of the big trends here at Shop Talk has been uh, AI and machine learning. Yeah. Um, and you guys are uh, like getting a, a pretty significant amount of data now so that I imagine would enable the possibility of you leveraging some of those techniques. Yeah, so we have a, we have a fantastic data set. Uh, and uh, we have a, a data set that's, that's different and bigger than a lot of e-commerce uh, players our size because we've got people's bidding history too. So not only do we have people buying things, we have people expressing interest at various different price points all along the way. So we have, we have a, a really like special data set that we're only beginning to... To, to leverage as we get better and better at um, at machine learning, um, but for us the uh, the business has only improved as it's scaled, and I attribute that to <clears throat> obviously improvements in logistics and, and operations that you get as an e-commerce business scaling, but just as much to to being able to leverage our data in more intelligent ways. Yep. And are you like using that uh, for merchandising as well? Like you like so you mentioned like. There's a big inventory of potential stuff to offer to yeah. your buyers. Yeah. So, like internal in, in our in our company, we have nobody. We have no merchandisers. So, I think this is one of the one of the hallmarks, as I see it, of like a modern, uh, like a modern retail company is is one that's going to use data. Like data is the new merchandiser. It's sort of one of our internal mottos. Um, so, <clears throat> and we we learned this the hard way. We actually a, a few years ago we 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 did hire some. Um, folks with more uh, traditional retail backgrounds. And we had a hard time internally reconciling uh, the their intuition, which was often right. Um, we just had a hard time reconciling that with, with the data that we were seeing. And so it's uh, trying to get these two worlds to, to, to come together is challenging. But I think just our, we've got, you know, we're, we're engineers by training and that's sort of our DNA. And uh, we, we like to follow the numbers. And, yeah. and, and when we talk about e-commerce and retail, like merchandising is like the core piece of that where we we've spent a lot of time so have you guys developed any of your own models are you using any of the the commercial or open source stacks like what's the yeah well set you're using we use AI? well we use a lot of open source uh we do use a lot of open source code to, to glue our machine together um but we're not using any off-the-shelf solutions for for ai so we you know we we, we build our own data models we've got folks that have experience with machine learning uh, that spend time um, tuning the models and then also thinking about how do we, like what, what types of data would make this model even better and how do we go capture that data? So a lot of what we talk about internally is how our data is structured and how can we structure it better to make it more effective. 
Um, I think everything, the, the, it, it, a lot of people ask me about, about data and about AI, and I, I always tell them that it just it starts with structured data. You've got to have a data set, and you've got to have a schema that's easy to work with. Yep. Uh, we, I have lots of uh, sort of more old-world clients, and the, the like, big starting points for machine learning isn't even doing any machine yeah. learning. It's like, can it's, you get the data? It's just about getting at, <laughs> attributes for your data. And then the other thing we talk a lot about, because it's a coming problem, is data governance, like yeah. just making sure you have the, the right rights to leverage totally. that data in all the ways you totally. want. Totally. Agreed. Cool. So you mentioned um, kind of drilling in on this. So. You mentioned you get this bid data. Um, yeah. Do you actually then go and and go to like the manufacturer and say, "Hey, your price is too low." If you know you're at twelve dollars, and if we did eight ninety nine, you know our model tells us we could sell twice the volume. Is that yep. is that a example of a use case? Yeah. So we, have, I mean, so that is like an example of the vision. Yeah. Um, we haven't actually gotten it. We haven't actually done that just yet. But yeah. So a core piece of our technology is that we can look at a, an item and estimate the price that we're going to get for it. So uh, we, we like to have a good sense of what we're going to sell something for before we even put it up for auction, before a buyer even sees it. Yeah. Uh, and so we can look at our, you know, our millions of SKUs and say, this, these are the things that are going to perform well. Um, can we go get them for, for better prices? Or can yeah. we, you know, how, how, do we make this, how do we make these price points work? So and there, there are two ways to do that. We can figure out how to, how to make, advertise a SKU to sell it at a higher price if we think we can get a better price for it. Or how do we lower the costs on the supply side? Yeah, I'm convinced this is what drives a lot of Amazon's private label. You know, the the brands would tell you that right. they're just stealing their data and yeah. stuff, but I think what happens is, you know, I think Amazon looks at like khaki pants and they right. see there's this conversion gap down at you know X dollars, and then they will go and recruit Chinese sellers to fill that gap, and then right. and or like layer in you know you know some private label at that price point right. in there. You know, I think they're looking more at conversion data. You've got bidding data, which is actually a little bit right. Maybe What's better. interesting about Amazon? So, like we we get compared to when, when we talk to investors. Obviously, Amazon's the, the the elephant in the room, and they want to talk about how we are different from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon, everything is like search oriented on Amazon, yeah. right? And so, Amazon has this wealth of kind of search oriented conversion data. Somebody types in khaki pants, and they can see what percentage of the khaki pants search volume has been fulfilled. Right. Um, we don't have that. Meaning, we just have people opening up the app, and it's almost like a news feed of of products, mm-hmm. um, and so we have to glean and, and uh, we have to glean and make inferences in in, in different ways than mm-hmm. Amazon does. Yeah, cool. Uh, so just to change topics a little bit, so uh, a lot of people uh, contact me because I'm known in the marketplace world, and they say, "Hey, I'm building a marketplace," and I always say, "That's great. It's going to be harder than you think it is because um, unlike you know, let's say you were going to build like a Dollar Shave Club or something like that." What's nice about that business is you 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 control one side of the equation, right? You control the supply. Now you have to just go bring demand. You chose the what I would say is at least twice as hard, if not four x as hard, of building a marketplace. You have to not only do you have to go build the buyer side, you have to go build the seller side. So it's kind of like simultaneously building two businesses. And you know, there's probably some Jason are, Scott rule of the square, the number of sides to your marketplace is <laughs> you know the, the exponent of, of the equation there. Um, has that been your experience that it's kind of – and then what then what happens is a lot of failed marketplaces, you know, congrats to you for getting to the scale you're at. They they row on one side of the boat too hard and they end up going in a circle. So they'll go acquire all these buyers. The buyers will have a terrible experience because there's not enough supply. They'll go acquire all these suppliers. They won't sell anything. They'll attrit because they didn't sell any product. Yeah. Uh, do you have some scar That's, tissue to share with us on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean this is like – this is what we're working on all the time. So trying to, trying to climb the ladder on demand and supply – at the same, at a similar rate, 
um, it's challenging. And this, and, and this is why it's really hard to grow a marketplace faster. It's, it, it's just very hard to grow uh, a marketplace at, at like an exponential rate. It takes time to grow marketplaces. And so we've been fortunate enough to, to mostly double the business year over year. Um, and, and, and even as we try and double the business, it feels like the wheels are about to fall off either on the supply side or on the demand side. Um, and in, in turn, if you just see some of the conversations that go on internally, it's always, you know, there'll be one channel screaming about not enough buyers and another Slack channel screaming about like not enough SKUs for a certain type of buyers. It's just like, you know, we're, we're constantly, it, 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 it feels like a, a battle every day. Um, and then, but by the end of the year, when you take a step back and you look at, at the business, you're like, wow, we actually like, th- we actually got some stuff done and we grew, um, even though that every single day feels like a, it feels like a, a dog fight. Yeah. Has that been the hardest thing about building Top Hatter or have you been surprised by the back end scale it's taken or, um, you know, the customer discovery, what, what's been the hardest problem in hindsight that, that kind of surprised you? Um, I mean, the problems have really changed year over year. Uh, right now, one of our biggest challenges is around uh, is trying to understand our supply better. And this kind of goes to the data model. Uh, we see that our one of, one of the big challenges this year for us is uh, that we're that we're grappling with this with this year is that we we our our customers tell us that they want to see more things in the marketplace. Yeah. Uh, when we first launched in 2012, and keep in mind, everything we do is real time. So when you open up that app, everything that you're seeing is is available right now in this moment and it's going to sell in 90 seconds right. for anybody in the world. Anybody in the world that opens up the app is going to see that thing in 90 seconds. So it's kind seconds. of a QVC-ish kind of a model. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like QVC. Um, and, in, and when we first launched in 2012, because we had such a small demand base, we couldn't offer that much supply. So if you open up the app uh, in prime time, you know, uh, if you open up the app, there might be like five things for sale mm-hmm. because that's all that our demand could support. Uh, and that year, people like our buyers would tell us, hey, we want to see more than you know these five things available. Yeah. And then in 2013, our demand base grew, and we could grow our supply base also. And they said the same thing. We want to see a little bit more. So every year, it's just kind of the same thing. Um, this year, it feels particularly acute uh, because we, we, see the, we see the opportunity to break into all these different categories, especially with the scale that we do have. And so a, a lot of what we focus on is trying to, trying to understand which categories do our buyers want to see. How do we get them? How do we broaden our categories? How do we go deeper into the categories that we do have to sell better and better things? Um, so it's a it's trying to trying to build that insight while the while like our mark while our system is is evolving mm-hmm. is, is is super challenging. And we have a pretty big um, we have a pretty big team of of analysts that are, that are looking at data all the time, trying to trying to understand uh, how the system is functioning and build more insight into what we should do tomorrow. Cool. So we have a lot of entrepreneurial type uh, sellers that sell on eBay and other platforms. Yeah. How, uh, give us like the quick, you know, 30, you know, 90 second pitch. Like how do you pitch a seller to be on your platform? Yeah, we say it's easy. Uh, you just give us all your inventory um, and we'll, uh, we, 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 we connect it with our buyer. We, we look at what our buyers are going to want. Um, we list the stuff that we think is going to do well. And you can tell us also if you've got a floor for the, the things that you want to, like a price that you expect to sell it at. Um, and we won't list it unless our prediction models are telling us that it's going to sell above that price. Yeah. So at a 300 million kind of run rate, a lower AOV, do you have like 30 million? Do you disclose like how do you pitch to buyers to sellers? How many buyers you have is like, I kind of mentally just get to like 20 to 30 million uh, buyers. Yeah. Um, so like last year we had, I mean, I don't get any exact numbers, but last year we had over 2 million buyers okay. on the platform. So they're just buying a fair amount of stuff. Okay. Yeah, so they're okay. buying a lot of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. 
That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, an AOV. It's a it's a good good point. Like at an AOV of uh, you know t- ten bucks, like ten to fifteen dollars average transaction size mm-hmm. to make this business work, they've got to be buying a lot of, of things. Yeah. And I remember the, the classic thing about e-commerce businesses ten fifteen years ago was the first question they'd ask you is what's your AOV, and if your AOV is like in the ten to twenty dollar range, they're like get out. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Cool. So as a seller, I would ask, uh, one thing that scares me is, you know, you're, I give you all my inventory yeah. and I see all this stuff going on there for a dollar. Yeah. You know, can I have a reserve or, yeah. or do you guarantee if I want right. 10 bucks, you'll deliver 10 bucks? How does that yeah. work? So today, um, today, I currently, like a lot of the risk is taken by the sellers, but we just assure sellers that we're not going to run it unless we think you're going to get a, we, we, our prediction models, um, think that you're going to get a price above the price that you want. Okay. But uh, one so, thing we're so rolling give out you this, a desired price yeah, point. Okay. Right. So, but one thing we're rolling out this year is for us to take the risk. Right. And so we're, you know, we've got all the data. We, we're, we're confident in our predictions. And so at some point in time, we feel really comfortable mm-hmm. taking the risk. Mm-hmm. And so from, from, from that perspective, a seller can treat our platform just like they treat any other yeah. marketplace. So it's just like you work with price. eBay, just like you work with Amazon, just give us everything at the fixed, best fixed, fixed price that you have. And we'll, we'll sell it. Um, and, and we'll give you the price for it. But, we also have the opportunity to take the upside on it too. So yeah. So if I'm if I've got a like a great price on this widget and we 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 do this, I, I know when uh, a lot of sellers are working with like the Amazon and the eBay deals team, there's a certain amount of depth. What what kind of depth would you ask a seller to provide? Do you want like ten of a widget, a hundred, a thousand, a million? Right. So today we don't work with our sellers closely for volume commitments. That's okay. another opportunity we can have. So right. we um we anticipate that as we start to take. As we start to give sellers commitments and we're trying to get better prices from sellers, we anticipate that volume of commitments will go along with it. Yeah. Today we do. Today we give more volume to the sellers that are willing to take more risk, mm-hmm. um, and they don't have to take that risk. I mean, like we're happy to take that risk, and so it's a little bit of a, a kind of value proposition mismatch right now uh, that we're excited to address this year. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one is uh, one of the knocks on some of these folks, like an AliExpress or a Wish is you win this thing and you're all excited yeah. and then like it takes six months for the totally. product to get to you. Do you, um, is that, is yeah. that something you've gotten that feedback on and, and how, yeah, you I mean, we're sellers on how fast you expect them yeah. to ship these things and get yeah. them to the consumer? So we expect the sellers to ship right away. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get it right away. Well, mm-hmm. first off the customers that we have, our, 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 the customer feedback is that people are willing to wait for longer yep. for value. Mm-hmm. And so we haven't seen the shipping times be a huge problem. I certainly think there's a class of customer that wants to get their item right away, um, but those aren't necessarily those aren't really our customers, broadly speaking. Um, our our customers though want value. Um, w- one thing that we've we've found is that our logistics are going to improve with scale, and so as we scale up, we found that our sellers are willing to open up warehouses closer to demand. And we're willing to give them more volume if they open up their warehouses closer to demand and deliver faster. So there's a lot of different ways to get the products to the customers faster. And our, in using a marketplace model, our sellers are willing to um, invest in that. Um, but our average, just to be clear, our average time um, delivery times are you know, a couple weeks if it's coming from from China. Yeah. And if it's coming from the U.S., which a bunch of our inventory comes from the U.S. too, it's just you know it's a handful of days. Okay. And does the buyer see that delivery time before yeah, they bid? Totally. Got it. And it's an important component. So, if, like, we tell our sellers that if you can ship faster, you're gonna, there's going to be more demand on your products. Yep. Because I feel like that's an incremental flaw in the wish model. Is like you, you're often pretty far in the purchase funnel before you find out. Yeah. The- you know, I think they've experimented both ways. Sure. So, uh, I think they have, take a fairly similar um, mindset to us in terms of 
trying to figure out where where to break this news to the customer, quote unquote. And obviously, it, it's uh, it's a pretty bad experience if you break it too late in the funnel. But I'm sure they're trying to learn to, to and experiment with where's the right place to bottles, share. Yeah. For us, we like to share it right up front, so people so we set expectations right away. Um, so you mentioned in the very beginning, uh, I always encourage people to download the app. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming that's the sort of preferred iteration of the experience is the mobile app. Yes. Um, I yeah, was, so most of our business is done. mobile. I mean, our experience is a real time experience. And so, uh, we sell things and we sell things that are only available for 90 seconds. Yeah. And so we do have a, a web experience, um, but most our web experience is primarily for our sellers. So all of our seller tools are on the web, and that's how sellers access it. And our, our website works just the same way that our, our app does, but the vast majority of our business is done on our apps, on, on our, our Android app and our iOS app. Yep. And so, so uh, almost everybody that has a strong mobile experience like it, the metrics are much better on the mobile app experience. The challenge usually is... Uh, maintaining that that high uh, active user base on the mobile app. Um, it sounds like, in your case, it kind of matches pretty well to the demographic because these are like people that are, that are mm-hmm. going to want to be frequent purchasers. Um, are you seeing uh, like significant churn? Like, what are you doing to try to yeah. maintain the? Yeah, I mean, for us, we've got to deliver. You know, you, you especially the discovery shopping experience. You've got to. We, we focus on engagement. I think this is the, uh, uh, a big difference between us and Amazon. We like to, we, we like to think about ourselves as the anti-Amazon um, in many ways. Amazon focuses on, uh, I like to think that Amazon focuses on the buying experience. We focus on the shopping experience. Like Amazon focuses on efficiency. They want to get you in the app and out of the app. Like, they want to get you in, find something, quickly get it, boom, you're out. Uh, we're the opposite. We're engaged. We, we help customers. We help we our- We want loiters. Yeah, we want, we help. Yeah, <laughs> Amazon helps you save time. Top adder helps you spend time. We want to, you know, so so for us, like we want our customers to be in the app all the time. We want them to be discovering great things, even if they're not buying. And uh, we're constantly iterating on on that experience. The primary feedback from our customers that that end up churning out is the fact that we don't have the breadth of supply that they're looking for. Um, and every year, that challenge. Every year, like we're able to offer more and more supply. Obviously, we love to have it overnight. Love, love to have it happen tomorrow. But it's a it's it's just a process of building out our supply base. It's interesting that VCs are comparing you to Amazon. They maybe should be comparing you to like Clash Royale. <laughs> maybe some, yeah some yeah. There's like there's a game like experience to it. So yeah. uh, should have Fortnite where like everyone's on an island and have to battle for the deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fortnite, there's a, there's Fortnite a, meets products. People love the competition. Gamification for sure. A quick disclaimer: Jason and Scott show takes ten percent of any ideas that you utilize <laughs> from the show. Yeah. Uh, our lawyers make us say things. Yeah. yeah. Just, um, do you disclose like roughly like what the active monthly users are on the mobile app? Is it like just I'm just trying to get an idea of order of magnitude versus a traditional shopping site? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't want to get into like the monthly numbers sure. per se. Any entrepreneur knows their MAU, their DAU. Yeah, you, you yeah. probably know like. But it's fine. Time not of sure. day, <laughs> AU. <Yeah. laughs> well, we're I the, bet there's an interesting time well, of day thing to your business. There absolutely is, and and we're, we're part of part of our um, part of our business is making sure that we're matching the right amount of supply with the right amount of demand. So we have demand models that tell us uh, how much how many buyers we expect to be showing up at this very moment. And then what supply we should be showing in this 90-second time frame. So we have these models that tell us how much we should be listing at any given, any given time. So we, we have these sophisticated models that, that, um, that, that give us this information. Um, so we have, to know, uh, we have to know all this data. Uh, in terms of sharing, though, you know, we, we sell over 100,000 items a day. 
you know, just to give you a sense. Um, are, are you limited by the, the time of day? Like if you if yeah, anything since are. 90 seconds, there's only so many things. There's uh, only so many slots. Well, in the middle of the night, there's less people on the site. Right. Or, there's like less people on the app. But like let's say there's um, you know 10 people on at any one given second. Yeah. Um, do they they all see the same thing going for 90? Or do right. you now start to just kind of say there's some point where it starts to make sense to show some audience – Maybe a ring right. and another so you, people so an electronic ex- item. Right. So every so there's there's a everybody has a different sort experience. Okay. So you can sort down and see uh, you can you have access to everything. Yeah. But it'll just be a different place in the sort. So it's personalized to the person, like the, the information that we have based about based on the person and based on what's available at this very moment. Yeah. So you you can go broader category and get more personalized and and leverage those ninety seconds. Um, it seems like kind of going deeper would be good too, because, you know, a lot of sellers I've talked to, they kind of have these, these opportunities to, they, they almost need like a volume commitment from you, totally. which is like where these deal platforms, totally. you know, gets yeah. these really crazy great prices. Yeah. We can sell things in volume too. Yeah. It just won't, part of the beauty from a, from a buyer perspective is that uh, if you don't win right now, you don't know when it's going to come up again. Yeah. And people and buy, our buyers can set reminders on certain items. So even if they don't win it right now, we'll send them a notification the next time it comes up. Yeah. And sometimes the next time it comes up is in the next hour. Yeah. But sometimes it's and in every the next loser month. kind of you know to notify them because they've expressed interest. Yeah. yeah. Or exactly. show it the first thing. Exactly. Exactly. So so we do we are able to sell things in volume, but it doesn't necessarily happen like in the same ninety seconds. Yeah. What what categories do you want to add the most? Um, you know, we're excited to kind of break into apparel. For us, like we find that. You know, we think that the experience that we have, we're, we're trying to cater to a broad mass market audience, um, but our, our audience today is limited by the supply that we do sell. So yeah. a few years ago, we were only selling jewelry. We were selling a lot of jewelry, uh, and our audience was 90% women. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're selling a lot of electronics, and our audience is closer to 60-40 uh, male-female um, because there is something for guys to buy. Uh, and so I'm excited to, like, break into – Apparel and all, all a bunch of other categories. Yeah. Shoes. I'll, I'll give you a great, pro like, tip: hair extensions. Got it. So got it. hair extensions. Ten percent for you guys. Go, go, <laughs> yep. Go. Uh, so hair extensions are the number one uh, seller on AliExpress, oh, wow. and it's like crazy okay. volumes. Um, there's cool. something about the price point and quality of imported from China hair extensions. Okay. Uh, Jason's more of an expert on this than I am. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I'm more of He's a all about the weave. weave guy, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think tell. you should definitely look at this yeah. hair extension and drones. You probably already we sell a lot of drones. drones. Yeah, we do. That's so drones are second only to, to hair extensions. So cool. definitely and, and, look at the hair extension yeah. category. And um, and we're also excited to break into international markets. So today we're we're eighty five percent based in the U S. Um, we think in many ways the the business is going to be a lot more interesting outside of the U S. Uh, very interesting. Um. Is the experience personalized at all? Like, it, like, do you use what you know about the user to decide what yeah. gets merchandise on that homepage? And mm, yeah, uh, we so so there's there's a, a set of items that's available to everybody that's uh, that is on the app at this given moment. But we sort it based on the information that we have about you. Um, and so if if you've bid on a lot of electronics items, you'll probably see electronics items. The electronics items that are available, you'll probably see sorted to the top. So we do our best to personalize it in that way. But when we make decisions about uh, the the demand that we're seeing today uh, and the supply that we have available, we're also uh, we're also making decisions about what from that pool we should be listing to sell at this given moment in time. Very cool. Uh, well, this has been super fascinating, Ashman. We uh, greatly appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to us. But it has happened again. We've used up all our allotted time. 
Uh, so if listeners want to continue the conversation, we encourage you to jump over to our Facebook page. And uh, if you enjoyed today's show, please jump on iTunes, give us that five-star review, and then you can uh, download Top Hatter from there. Yeah, and obviously people should go and, and try out the platform. Uh, do, you, do you publish stuff online? Where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more? Yeah, you can uh, you can uh, find us on our Facebook page. You follow us on Twitter. Um, we're uh, we have a we're active on Medium, so we're publishing content everywhere. Uh, we're also uh, we're also launching a, a national TV campaign, also. So we're about to roll out uh, a, a pretty big uh, TV campaign. So so uh, you find us at a TV channel near you too. Congrats! That'll be fun. Nice. I look yeah, forward yeah, to see. Are you give us a star in the first. Box? Yes, absolutely. Can nice. you tell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give, can you give listeners a little preview of like give us a little uh, little uh, sneak peek? Yeah, I, I think the uh, we're we're appealing to uh, the folks that want to have a fun experience shopping. Cool. So uh, awesome sponsoring NBA jerseys. In the, not yet. If, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we really appreciate you joining us. I know you've been really busy here at the show, uh, out recruiting sellers for the platform. So we really appreciate you taking time. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Uh, until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.